Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So here we are after the second full day of practice. We're just coming to the end of the second full day. And uh, just want to remind you, or if you're new to this process, that uh, these first couple of days take a lot of patience and kindness because it takes a while to come into actually being here. And so if you find yourself still sleepy and or restless or having a lot of activity in the mind <clears throat> or aches in the body, you're right on schedule, just doing fine. <clears throat> People who've done retreats before just know that that's part of the package and, and so there's more of a, um, a willingness to go through that. <clears throat> These uh, first couple of days... You might have that question come up, you know, and I mentioned the first night, what is it that we're doing? You know, why am I here? So I thought tonight I'd um, give a bit of an overview of how this process works uh, by going through one of the uh, traditional lists um, in this teachings. And uh, these teachings are filled with lists if you're somebody who likes lists. Uh, <clears throat> but it's the, uh, it's the list of the five spiritual faculties. And uh, I thought I'd read just a, a passage from the, uh, the suttas. We've been doing this in, in, in recent retreats, uh, reading something or sharing something, uh, a talk based on a, a discourse of the Buddha's and uh, I thought I'd do that tonight just so that if you've heard of the list of the five faculties before, you know that we're not just making it up. It's, it's right in here. This is, this is real. And this is what the Buddha said. <clears throat> if I can find it. Uh, a practitioner has these qualities the faith faculty, the energy faculty, the mindfulness faculty, the concentration faculty, and the wisdom faculty. Such a practitioner still has to work with diligence. When that practitioner makes use of suitable resting places, we've got a good one here, and associates with good friends, and balances their spiritual faculties, they may realize for themselves with direct knowledge, here and now, enter upon and abide in that supreme goal of the holy life. Complete freedom. So these are five qualities uh, that are very essential to this process. In fact, They are also called the five powers. It's the only list that I know of that, or the only um, uh, list of qualities that 
has uh, two names, the faculties and the powers. When they're fully mature and ripened, they become powers leading to uh, awakening. And in, in that passage, uh, the Buddha talks about balancing the spiritual faculties. That's one way to understand this list. Uh, the five, again, faith, energy or energetic effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Faith needs to be balanced with wisdom. If there's too much faith and not enough wisdom, it becomes blind faith. If there's too much wisdom, that is, investigation, without that heartfelt source of, of action, uh, source of, of practice, an opening of the heart, then it becomes dry and cerebral and can actually lead to some uh, skepticism and doubt. Concentration needs to be balanced with energy. Too much energy and you become very restless. Too little energy and you become sleepy. The same with concentration. If you are very concentrated to the sense of stilling the mind, it can get very quiet and lead to a sleepiness and uh, what's called sinking mind. <clears throat> and if there's not enough concentration, we're very scattered, as probably you have seen. And the mindfulness factor is what balances those other four um, faculties. That's one way to look at the list. Another way is in a more linear development of practice. Not that you perfect one faculty and then you move on to number two and then so on, but there is a natural progression as, as you do um, practice here that starts with faith, which leads to effort and energy, which develops mindfulness, leading to a deepening of concentration and opening up to wisdom. So I'd like to go through the list in, um, in that manner. <clears throat> the first faculty is that of faith, which... Um, the name in uh, the word in uh, Pali is uh, sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A, which literally means um, to put one's heart upon. So that you can see, is a real heartfelt quality to it. Uh, it also points to um, trust and confidence. Sometimes the word faith trips people up, whatever they're background, going to Sunday school or their you know, early childhood. Um, so you can relate to or resonate with whatever facet um, speaks to you. But doing this very unusual exercise of sitting here and feeling your breath or paying attention to what's happening, you need to have some motivation to do it. If you pulled somebody off the street and said, okay, just sit here and uh, try this for a day, you know, they wouldn't last very long because it's really hard, isn't it? So um, we get here 
through some kind of inspiration or motivation. <clears throat> you know, perhaps you heard a friend tell you about how wonderful it is to do retreats. And you've trusted this friend. Hopefully they'll still be your friend by the time you you get out of here. Maybe the first day or two you're wondering. Um, Or you've read something that seems really to make sense and it arouses your curiosity because there's some some power and... um, uh, taste of truth in what you've read. And so you sign up for a retreat. Or as you're developing the practice and you start to see the, the possibilities, you know, it leads you to, to take the next step. You know, maybe you've done a class at home or heard a few talks and done a little bit of meditation at home and say, you know, this, this feels right. I think I'm going to continue to check this out. But when you come here, whatever it is that, that motivates you, it takes courage to do this. And that faith is what, or trust, is what lets us have the courage to open ourselves up. It takes trust to open up and feel what's going on inside doesn't it? You know, it would be so wonderful if we could say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go sit and let's get that compassion out. Yeah. Oh, I know I've got a whole lot of wisdom in there. Yes, let it just stream out. That's not how it works. In order to touch those deeper places of wisdom and compassion, it means you have to be willing to open your whole self up. And usually the first things that come up on the first few days of retreat are you know, resistance and doubt and frustration and, you know, busy mind and things that I've mentioned a moment ago. So it takes some courage to be willing to be there with, say, an ache in your body or um, some emotional stuff as it surfaces. That's a natural part of the process. What can keep us there is this courage that leads to seeing for ourselves the possibility that this really works. Some uh, sources of faith that perhaps you've gotten in touch with, one uh, is called bright faith, where we've been very inspired by by somebody. You know, uh, just this week the Dalai Lama was was in town and uh, the the four, oh, that's right, I mentioned it the first night. The four of us saw him and uh, a number of people. How many people saw the Dalai Lama when he was here? Just a few. Seeing somebody like that who's been through such incredible suffering, seeing his whole people, his whole country uh, be uh, taken over and the culture. Uh, transforming in a very uh, a very challenging way, which has also actually enabled the teachings to come out of Tibet and reach many more people uh, through his presence. But seeing him, somebody who knows how to laugh and knows how to feel joy and be like a child, even having touched that 
degree of suffering. It's incredibly inspiring. When you're around somebody like that, it makes you wonder, what does he know? I want to know what he knows. And he's there saying, please, please, check out what I know. It's here for you. It's incredible. It's really wonderful when you are aglow with that kind of inspiration. You know, perhaps we all have our own stories of what it was that opened up our hearts that said, yes, I want to do this. I want to figure this out. Or I want to check it out for myself. I remember the first time I, I heard the, these teachings. It was in uh, 1974 in, in Colorado, Naropa Institute. And I went to hear Joseph Goldstein talk. And he didn't quite fit my image of the great spiritual teacher. He was just a few years older than I was and he sounded like he was from New York like I was and, you know, didn't have a very regal demeanor. So the first couple of minutes it was like, well, who is this guy? And then after about ten minutes I knew that he knew something that I wanted to know. And as I got more into it and saw the possibilities that I did not have to be a slave to my neurotic thought patterns for the rest of my life, which I pretty much had resigned myself to being, I just dove in. Because there was, there was a lot of suffering inside of here. And sometimes suffering is what leads us to, uh, to open up to other possibilities. In fact, just as, a, as an aside, one list that uh, might be interesting to you um, is uh, it's it's got the esoteric name of transcendental dependent arising, um, but the the list starts out with suffering, and it says that suffering is a causative factor for faith. Now, often when we are feeling suffering, we think, oh, this is going to lead just downhill, not very good, okay. but. Actually, if we hold that experience wisely, it can lead us to look outside of ourselves. We see we don't have control over experience and can move us to understand what happiness, what real happiness is. And particularly, the key is coming in contact with teachings that allow you to understand the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. So, inspiration, that bright faith. One line from the Buddha that that really has always inspired me. It's a very straightforward line, the essence of which is, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. It's pretty straightforward. He's just telling it like it is. And it is possible, and so I share these teachings. So, that's one source. Faith is the antidote to doubt. And we'll probably hear a bit more of the difficulties that arise while you're, while you're practicing. And doubt is, is one of them. Uh, and doubt comes to everyone. It came to the Buddha even before he was enlightened. Mara, the last thing that Mara visited him with as he was sitting under the tree 
after he tried to frighten him and and uh, entice him with with uh, beautiful visions of beautiful women. The last thing Mara said, what gives you the right to think that you can become enlightened? Which is really doubt coming. And then the Buddha touching the earth and having the earth bear witness to all the work that he'd done over the course of lifetimes. And he says, yes. He didn't say anything. He just saw that that doubt does not have to be believed. And that was the moment before he became enlightened. And Jesus on the cross, you know, why, why hast thou forsaken me? Before he became truly free in the surrender. So if you have some doubt, it's okay. You know, it's, it's quite human, quite normal. If the Buddha and Jesus have doubt, you know, give yourself some slack. In fact, one, uh, one of the sources of, of faith uh, that can be very inspiring uh, are the refuges that we looked at and uh, took the first evening. Refuge in the Buddha, seeing that possibility that if he can do it, perhaps I can too. Or even more fundamentally, refuge in my own Buddha nature that you have what he was what he discovered and that's why he taught or refuge in the dharma when we say refuge in the dharma we're saying the truth of things how things are that if we can open up to the truth we see we have in every moment just what we need to wake up it's amazing how life works that way you get just what you need it's not so much that you have to make everything all right and no problems and, and uh, you know, no back pain or a no wandering mind. You get what you need to work with. Or refuge in the Sangha. The fact that for 2,500 years, many, many, many people have walked this path and have come to some freedom. By the way, if it's getting cool, you can close the door. I see some people putting their shawl on. So that's another source of faith. A third and the most important is what's called verified faith, where you have seen for yourself the power of waking up, the power of being here for your experience, verified faith. And that's one that nobody can take away from you. That gives you tremendous confidence because when you see, oh yeah, I can be with experience and life is revealing itself to me, it gives you more uh, courage to come to meet the next moment that way. What have you seen for yourself? What do you know to be true? Sometimes the insights kind of sneak up on you. I remember on the second retreat, my second retreat, which was very, very difficult the first couple of days. My body was really hurting. My mind was all over the place. And I thought, I'd never make it. Right? And then after a couple of days, a few days, I settled down. And... Um, but then I had this tremendous doubt, 
I, like, I was a phony. I was just going through the motions. Everybody around was a phony. They didn't know what they were doing. And the teachers didn't know what they were talking about. You know, I didn't know if I could really trust them. It was just a line they were giving. And, and I had this... I tried to do walking meditation. It was like pacing, like a tiger, just going back and forth. And then I went up to this... Uh, to my spot. Finally, I just kind of rested. I went up to my... My uh, it was a little cubicle in this retreat center in, in Washington, and there was a picture of uh, Neem Karoli Baba on my dresser because he's somebody who has given me a lot of faith from Ramdas's books, and he was looking at me kind of with a, a twinkle in his eye and a big smile on his face, you know, and, and he, I heard him say through the picture, "Hmm, getting a little bit intense there, aren't you?" You know. And kind of with this big laugh. And in a moment, the whole drama dissolves. Wow, I was really getting down there. And I just lightened up tremendously. Oh, fabulous. And I thought, wow, I conquered doubt. (laughs) I couldn't wait to tell my teacher... Unfortunately, the interview was about eight hours from that moment, and I went through every mind state possible from exhilaration and joy to then kind of exhaustion and depletion, and then I was kind of uh, uh, confused and lost, and I went into the interview, and, uh, and Joseph said, so, how's it going? And I sighed in utter exasperation and innocence, it's always changing. <laughs> and he said, that's it. You got it. And it was a really powerful moment. Oh, I've been hearing this stuff for like a couple of years. You know, everything changes, everything changes. And I saw, oh, it really does change. I looked at 20 different mind states I'd had in those last few hours. Oh, I had an insight. Isn't that neat? You know? So... You know, you can't always plan them, but they sneak up on you. And when you do see for yourself the truth that things change, that holding on to experience is painful, that letting go and opening and trusting is a way to peace, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. This was... uh, uh, a letter from somebody um, on a retreat uh, a while ago who said, it is indeed a huge relief to realize that I am not in charge of my thoughts. That they come up completely unbidden. It is also a relief to know that I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness. That these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness or weak brain power or lack of dedication, etc., etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me deliriously happy. So happy that it is really hard to come back to the breath. But he kind of goes on. He saw for himself. You can't write something like that and just be spouting 
the words from the discourses. And it takes getting lost again and again to discover the truth for yourself. But that, every time you get lost, is a chance for you to understand in a new way the possibility of returning. So this faith then leads to the next of the faculties, which is effort, energy or effort, energetic effort. It takes some effort to do this practice, doesn't it? Once you do have the trust or the faith, then you're willing to put in the effort. It's not the effort to be a great meditator. It's not the effort to do it perfectly. It's simply the effort to be mindful, the effort to be present for your experience. And the effort is a balanced effort. If it's too much of a strain or you're striving hard to make something happen, all you do is get knotted up. If it's too lazy, too lax, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) Chances are you won't be. That's just how it works. So it's really finding a balance, like riding a bicycle, you know, you make adjustments here and there. And you'll get different messages during the retreat at different times that will either seem right on just what you need to hear or maybe not where you are and not what you need to hear. And if you listen to not only the the teachers here, but read, you can can read anything to corroborate what you want to, to hear or to make you feel like you're not doing it right. Okay? And that's the big question around effort. Am I doing it right? Okay? Sometimes you'll hear the message, just relax. Let things be in their own way. Receive the moment. Okay? Other times you might hear, well, if you have the energy, yes, it's late at night, but if you have the energy, just Stretch yourself. Just see how much more there is to see. Don't let yourself get lazy. You know, I sat with this Burmese master that uh, most of us have sat with, um, uh, who said, "Heroic effort." That was his line. Abandon all concern for the body. That was uh, that was the indelible line that that, that got me. Abandon all. Okay. If your leg falls off, note it as it's going. (laughs) And it's really powerful to practice in that way. You have to keep a lightness of heart as you do it because you can get very serious. But it's very, very strong. And the Buddha was a warrior and so there's a lot of images from that that style, that approach to practice. Then you hear other teachings, you know, simple and easy. Or Buddha Dasa, nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have. Ah, wonderful. Who do you who do you trust in there? Well, it takes effort to come here into the present moment. Once you're in the present moment, any kind of extra effort to make something else happen is is a movement out of just being. It's more a movement towards becoming. And that takes you out of the sense of just ease and openness and presence, wakefulness to the moment. So, 
They're both true. You can't just loll about and, and say, oh, I'll just be and expect to, to stay here for very long. But you can't keep on trying and trying and trying and forget to get space in the mind. So it's a balanced effort. The problem that often comes around effort is that people equate what is happening in their, their experience with how their effort is. Am I doing it right? Oh, my mind is scattered. I must not be doing it right. Or, oh, my back is hurting. You know, I must be doing something wrong. The Buddha, by the way, had backaches. You might take comfort in that. You know, having a body, you're going to have to relate to, uh, to body stuff. Or, oh, everybody around is going so slowly in the walking meditation. You know, they are doing it right. I just can't go slowly. Forget it. You know, and it, it can be even a couple of hours later when you feel kind of very in the flow and just doing your own thing and somebody is going slowly and say, who do they think they are? You know, Miss mindfulness over here. Or somebody is going fast and you're, going, you're trying to go slow and you say, gosh, they're just themselves. I wish I could be that natural and unpretentious. You know, not worry about image. Or a couple of hours later, don't they get it? You know, why are they going so fast? Slow down, man. And often, especially when you're doing something like walking meditation, being in a social situation, you have other reasons for practicing too. You know, our image. Have you noticed that? On one one retreat, I started noting after a while, some of you heard this before, just lifting, moving, placing, and I'd be really getting into it and going nice and slow all by myself. And somebody else would come in to the walking room and I'd have a whole different reason for walking. And, and I started using the, the, the mental noting, lifting, moving, looking good, looking good, <laughs> lifting, looking good, looking good. You know, and I started saying more looking good than because that was what was happening. You know? It's humbling. A lot of our effort is about, are we doing it well enough so that we fit in? Are we doing it well enough so that we'll get something out of it? And it's almost impossible to tell while you're in the middle of the experience what is happening, the value of what is happening. You, know, you sit here and your mind is all over the map, you know, and it doesn't seem like anything is happening. And then you just start noticing as you're sipping your tea, you're really here for it. Or as you are walking uh, across the land, you start noticing life everywhere. The interesting thing, mysterious thing, is as you plant those seeds of intention to be present, they start to sprout in their own time. So, if you have any kind of ideas about what a good meditator looks like, just notice them and don't believe them. Because okay? those are your ideas. And if we went around the room, you'd probably hear a lot of different comments about what a good meditator would look like. You know, somebody who is having a real emotional catharsis and there they are, you know, 
weeping and, and really going through a lot, you know. I remember on the first couple of retreats thinking, God, I'm just sitting here, you know, being with my breath and they're getting so much out of this and, you know, it seems so bland to me, you know. I went to my teacher saying, you know, not much is happening. I'm just, everybody around seems to be crying and I'm, I'm not, you know. He said, don't go looking for trouble. We'll find you soon enough. <laughs> and it did after a while. Or somebody is, you know, is, is feeling there, is going through an emotional, emotional storm and think, God, I just wish I could be like everybody else and be quiet and sit here. You know? There's no programming it. So if you let go of the program, it makes it so much simpler because you never had control over it in the first place. Effort comes from your heart. It's not here in the head by will, being a macho meditator. There's, an, there's a, a sincerity of heart that is the source of your effort. And if you let go of the report card and let go of um, pouncing on your experience, then you can receive it skillfully. The, the image that's given that the Buddha gave is tuning a string you know, there was this one monk who was having a really hard time, trying very hard, very overzealous. And the, uh, uh, and, and the Buddha saw he was having a hard time and was, he was asked for advice. And the Buddha said, weren't you a, a musician before you became a, a monk? He said, yes, I played the lute. He said, well, what happens if you tighten the, the string too much? Oh, it's too high. You get the wrong pitch. Well, what happens if the string is too loose. Oh, you don't get the right pitch. It's too low. And the Buddha said, oh, just so, just with the right amount of tension as with getting the right pitch, you do this practice. But you don't fall in the, the, the perfect balance and say, oh, this is how much I'm supposed to do. Because you're a dynamic, changing energy system, sometimes you are getting tight, then you just need to relax. Sometimes you're getting really lax. Oh, you need to renew your commitment. Remember why you're here. And it's a continual adjustment, like riding a bicycle. One way to bring about an effort, a sincere effort, is by um, letting yourself become interested. You might act as if the breath were interesting. If it were your last breath, would you be interested? Probably. If it's your first breath, sometimes I think of what it would be like to just come into this world born, my first moment. Can I be here for my first moment? Mm. That breath, this breath, has never been here before. It'll never be here again. And it's sustaining you. How amazing. This is life happening. The interesting thing is, as you make the effort to be mindful, the more you make that effort, the more mindful you are. So, just keep on getting a sense of how you can bring about a balance that allows you to be here. Because that is your end of the deal. All you need to do 
is have the intention to be here as best you can and bring yourself back when you've gone. That's it. If you can remember that and bring yourself back in a very kind and loving and patient way, you're doing the practice. The key moment in the practice is the moment that you realize your mind is wandering. I mentioned this in one of the groups today. While you're wandering, while you're gone, you're gone. There's not much you can do about it, right? You might be gone for five seconds or five minutes or 25 minutes. You are gone. At some point, and it helps to be in a room full of people, you remember, oh, meditating. This is what we're doing. And then there's the realization that you've lost, you've been lost in thought. A very common response is, oh, darn it, there I am, gone. Let's get back here and do this right. Which might have some awareness, but it also is developing a lot of frustration and judgment and discouragement in the mind. And you get no points for that. Another very common response when you realize you've been lost in thought, oh, I've been thinking, but this is a very interesting thought. Let me just go with this one for a little while. (laughs) You've bitten the bait when you've done that, gotten hooked, and you're gone for another five seconds, five minutes, 25 minutes. The recommended response, which you might experiment with, when you see you've gone instead of any kind of judgment that you've been gone, appreciate the fact that you just came back to the present moment. You're finally here. Why spend time beating yourself up for having been gone? Ah, here we are again. And then bringing your attention back in a very loving and kind and patient and sincere way. The way you bring it back is the key to the whole process. If you bring it back that way, you're cultivating patience and kindness and awareness and that intention to be here which starts developing into deepening practice. So this is the effort we're talking about, the effort to be mindful, which is the next of these faculties. Mindfulness is the balancing factor and it's also a purifying factor. It has the unique property of existing only with wholesome factors, if you look at um, straight Buddhist psychology. Mindfulness, a moment of mindfulness, is a moment of non-grasping, non-aversion, and non-delusion. That is, not taking ownership or identifying with your experience. And so, in that moment of mindfulness, you are undercutting the forces of grasping, aversion, and delusion, which are the causes of suffering on a karmic level. So every moment of mindfulness, you are um, powerfully um, undercutting or uh, de- or um, um, cutting through the habits of, of suffering on a karmic level. What is mindfulness? Okay, It's simply... Knowing what is happening right now without getting caught in your evaluations or judgments about what you think should be happening. It's just seeing things clearly. That's it. 
That's what vipassana means. In case you didn't know, it's probably good to know if somebody asks you after you've done a vipassana retreat what vipassana means. Just seeing things as they are. And you can be mindful of anything. The discourse that this practice is based on, that all of Buddhist meditation, mindfulness meditation, is based on the Satipatthana Sutta, says you can be mindful of the body experience, of our breath, or the various sensations in the body, or the the five physical senses. You can be mindful of the flavor of experience, the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality of experience. You can be mindful of all the states of mind and the whole thought process. Anger, fear, joy, love, thinking, random thoughts. You can also be mindful of how these various factors come together to create the possibility of awakening. The Four Noble Truths or the Seven Factors of Enlightenment and lists like that. But basically, the idea is that anything is just as good as anything else to be mindful of. We start with the breath as a way to collect and focus the attention, but as we start to open up the field, we're just sharpening the, bre- the, the awareness on the breath so that then you can apply it to anything in your experience. So, sometimes people think, oh, if I'm not on the breath, I'm not doing it right. That's not so. You can feel sensations in your body and be with that for the whole period. If you're really there, that's great. That's wonderful practice. Or you can uh, notice a whole storm coming through. If you're not getting lost in the story, oh, this is what's happening. We get sometimes confused into thinking that mindfulness looks a certain way. But there's lots of different ways to be mindful and to take in experience. Sometimes there's a zoom lens, a microscopic lens that just goes right into the subtleties of experience. And if you find yourself quite connected with the breath, then you might explore and investigate how it's comprised of so many different little sensations. But other times, there's no way you can be that. You can, you can uh, feel the breath that way. Sometimes you're lucky enough to just know that you're in a body and sitting on planet Earth. That's fine. This one teacher, this wonderful teacher, uh, Manindraji, who's uh, Joseph Goldstein's teacher and uh, one of my teachers, he said, if you sit and know that you're sitting, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. And it's true. If you sit and simply know sitting is happening, here we are, this is it, just sitting. Everything reveals itself in its own time. If you're going through a storm and you have no idea how to get a handle on it, you're completely lost and confused, then I offer you my favorite label of all, which is putting the whole experience into one big package and noting confusion. Confusion. That moment of confusion is just as important a moment of mindfulness as feeling the hair follicles, you know, swaying in the breeze in your, your nostrils. 
you might be confused, you might be clearly confused, but you're clear about it. So, not to think that it looks any one way. One thing that mindfulness isn't is figuring out, is trying to interpret and understand when the word why comes to your meditation, be careful. Why is this happening? Why usually leads to a whole train of discursive thought that that keeps you around and around spinning your wheels. It's such an incredible relief to let go of trying to interpret, analyze, or figuring anything out, to just be with things as they are. And I'll share with you a, another letter that somebody wrote uh, a number of years ago. I really, I love this. She was having a really hard time. It was her first retreat and really had to get on top of everything and really wanted to understand why things were happening. And then she got it towards the end. She says, the one thing that is indelibly in my brain is remembering you don't have to figure it out. That would never ever register in my brain as an option before. And then then yesterday, I was walking and struggling in my brain, thinking round and round, and this voice came into my head that said, you don't have to figure it out. And I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. Mindfulness is not figuring anything out. It's just being present and open to your experience and letting things reveal themselves in their own way. Mindfulness, the moments of mindfulness, as they develop and build on each other, lead to the next faculty of concentration. So we have faith leading to making the effort to be mindful. As you make the effort, it leads to mindfulness developing. And the more the mindfulness is developed, the concentration starts deepening. Concentration cuts through the scatteredness and confusion of the mind. So that's why people come to retreats to have a very special supportive environment where there's minimal stimulus, stimulation, minimal um, activity or responsibility, and simply just coming back again and again, as I said a few moments ago, to the moment. And as you keep on coming back in that way, the mindfulness builds. Concentration is a very, mm, at times, elusive quality. The more you try to get concentrated, the more it seems to elude. But there are things that you can do that help facilitate concentration. The first is having an attitude of patience. 
if you are impatient to get concentrated, chances are you won't. It's the sense of giving a, a, a big pasture to a cow. That's Suzuki Roshi's image. You know, you put a cow in, in a field, you put a, a pen around it, and if it's very, very confined, it starts to get antsy and, uh, and there's a lot of uh, kicking and mooing. You take away that pen and you just give it this big field. What does it want to do? Just sits around, chews his cud, and no, not much here going on. I'll just relax, you know. And in the same way, if you give your mind space so that you're not tight and just allow for the process, that patience is one of allowing for things to unfold in their own way. The mind starts to settle down. Simplicity is also a real aid in concentration. As you see here, there's not much going on. There's sitting and there's walking, and there's sitting and there's walking. And in that simplicity, we start to settle down. Here's a, um, uh, a suggestion for you. While you're going through your day, see if you can do one thing at a time while you're here. So when you're putting on your shoes, to just put on your shoes. If you're brushing your teeth, to just brush your teeth. If you're showering, to just be with that, just to do one thing at a time. We get so skilled at doing, you know, eight or nine things in our life and juggling a whole lot of balls and keeping them going, you know. And we think, oh, great, that's, that's where it's at. But being simple is really the challenge. And it's in that simplicity that the mind starts to settle down and get focused. Along with that, the key to concentration is continuity of practice. It's just the way it works. That if you keep a steady, continuous, sincere intention to be here, that's how the momentum gets built. It doesn't mean pouncing and being tight and being rigid, but a, a continuous intention to be here as best you can for your, for your experience in a very open and, and easy way. Okay. The image that I found very helpful, I mentioned in a group today, is putting a, a tea kettle on the stove to boil. If you keep taking it off every 30 seconds or so, it's not going to cook. But if you leave it on, even if sometimes the flame is low and sometimes it's, it's a higher intensity, after a while, it boils. And it's the same way with your practice. If you take five or six breaks you know, each morning, you know, after a while, you won't, the, the concentration doesn't get a chance to develop and it's just kind of, you're looking more to take the break. Not that taking a break isn't skillful. You know, if you're feeling very claustrophobic, you might find that taking a cup of tea is the most skillful thing you can do. But be there for the tea. Really enjoy it. And getting in touch with why it is that you're doing anything outside of what the schedule is. And so it comes down to your intention. 
is this going to support my practice? You know, oh, having a, a cup of tea is really the most important thing I can do to get some balance of mind. Okay, great, do it and do it mindfully. Or having a, uh, a walk, just going out in nature because you need a bit more space. Fine, enjoy the walk, really be here for it. That continuity of practice, if you go through the day being with one thing at a time, whatever you're doing, it will dramatically deepen things. So just offer you, that's the, the key to concentration. And particularly to come back each time you've gone off. Okay, here we are again. It's always a fresh start. It's one of the great gifts of this practice. It's the same as on the cushion as in life. But as you practice realizing no matter where you've gone or how long you've gone away, fresh starts like pressing that clear button on the calculator. You know? No matter how high the numbers go, even past the E, you press that C, here we are, fresh start again. Keep on coming back. Begin again. You can't maintain concentration either. You might have moments where it's really clear and then it'll go. So you don't have to worry about holding on to anything. You just let things take their natural course and do the best you can. So as the concentration develops, this leads to wisdom, the last faculty. Wisdom is really the culmination of the practice. Really seeing things as they are. And basically, wisdom shows, or at least meditative wisdom that the Buddha is talking talking about, shows one of three things. One, everything is changing, and you can experience it on deeper and deeper and deeper levels. Two, because everything is changing, holding on to changing experience is painful. That's the cause of suffering. Or three, that changing process is who we are. And so what we take to be solid self is really simply this process of life as it moves through us. And in that, there's no no taking ownership of your experience. There's no identifying with it as being mine because like that, that fellow said, all the thoughts come and go on their own. All the sensations come and go on their own. And if we take ownership of it, we are getting into trouble and misperceiving reality. You have a, 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 an awful thought you know, a really nasty thought. If you take ownership of it, you think, oh my goodness, I'm such a nasty person. You know, I hope nobody sees what a rotten person I am. You've just bought the bait. That thought came in all on its own. Or if you have another thought, a really wonderful, beautiful thought, deeply compassionate thought that came through the screen, notice the tendency to think, hey, that was pretty good. You know. I hope people get what a really wonderful, marvelous, saint-like person I am. You know. 
those thoughts are just coming through. And when you see how empty they are, then you can give energy to the ones that really speak to your, your, higher, your higher understanding and your, your values. But not identifying with experience is really to, the key to the whole process. Not taking it personally. I had this one, uh, one experience on a, on a retreat where I was really uh, in, in, a, in a good space and had a lot of energy and was sitting for, uh, for some time for longer hours during this period. And um, I don't know how I got there, but there I was, you know, I was really here and sitting for a while. And, and on this one, um, one sitting, somebody came into the, into the hall who I had a tremendous respect for. This practice was very, very diligent. And she sat, she was sitting near me, and I had my eyes open. Um, and after a few moments, there she was, kind of you know, nodding off, you know, just, you know, go all the way down and all the way up, you know. And I thought of the hours and hours that I, you know, probably weeks, if you put it all together, just, you know, asleep in an upright position. And it occurred to me in a moment, I don't know how I got here, you know, there in, the, in that space, and that it would be so uh, easily possible to think that the next day we could be switching roles, you know, and there I'd be nodding out and she'd be having bright energy. And in a moment, the, the whole room kind of spun around and it wasn't me and these other people, it was just these various expressions of energy and here was mindfulness and here was sleepiness and here was calm and here was chaos and and just life doing its thing and the thought of taking it personally or taking credit for the space that I was in was completely absurd it didn't make any sense at all I don't know how I got there and it would be gone before I knew it it's such a relief to realize that you don't control the show that, and that it's just happening on its own. It was uh, yeah, somebody who wrote uh, also a, another insight along these lines. This woman, on she had done a little bit of practice, but she really got this. She said, realizing that I'm not my happiness, nor my fear, nor my confusion, nor my clarity, that none of those are really me. All of them are simply the flow of experience and what I call I is simply the vehicle they move through. That's who we are or who we are not are those various experiences. Who we are is something quite more mysterious than that. I remember there's this J.D. Salinger story, um, one of the nine stories, this story Teddy, this about this very precocious uh, genius uh, kid who talked about his own enlightenment experience. You know, and he didn't call it that way, but somebody was asking him and he said he was seeing his sister one day pouring some some milk and drinking some milk and and he said uh, all of a sudden I realized it was God pouring God into God 
And the whole personal aspect of it is seen through. And this is something we can see for ourselves. So these are the five faculties. Faith, leading to the effort to be mindful, which leads to mindfulness. Moments of mindfulness building on each other, leading to concentration. And that mindful concentration leading to wisdom, seeing reality as it is. Every moment of mindfulness counts. There's not one moment that's wasted. So I really uh, encourage and appreciate the work that, that you're doing here and just encourage you to be patient with your process and you show up and bring yourself back each time and let, let this amazing process reveal itself in its own way. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a, a half an hour for walking, and then uh, we'll come back and again do some chanting at the last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.